1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Our Portuguese Table. Hello, Maria.
0: Hello, Angela.
1: Como estás, querida? Tudo bem, tudo bem. That's about the extent of my Portuguese right now. <laughs> uh, as we were saying just before we jumped on the recording, it's just a million things going on. But, you know, if we weren't doing a million things, we'd find another million things to do because we just yes. like being busy. That's just yes, we do. Mm-hmm. And another, another busy person we have as our guest today, Robert Morey from Morey Cellars. Hi, Robert. Hi.
2: How are you? Hi,
1: Robert. How are you? <laughs> so for those of you that don't know and who aren't in California, California actually has quite a few Portuguese-American wineries. When, and that could be that they just have the Portuguese name. Some do make the wine in the Portuguese style, but it's kind of a cool thing out here that we we have, I would say at least six or seven Portuguese American wineries. So it's really, it's really nice. Yeah. So when we have events and stuff, um, being able to have a Portuguese American wine is actually kind of special. And um, I wanted Robert to be one of our first Portuguese American wineries because, and you know, I don't remember how we met Robert, but all I know is that you have supported a lot of events here in the community with wine donations and being there and being supportive. So, uh, really appreciate that um, aspect of, of your involvement and support because so, not everybody does that. So I just think it's really special no, that you've been so supportive.
2: No, you're welcome and happy to do it. And I know that you're the one that invited me to participate in a number of these events, either at you know Autodesk or at the park down in San Jose. Mm-hmm. So thank you for you for helping promote Portuguese culture in the state.
1: Oh well we're just gonna pat each other on the back. I appreciate it. <laughs> but um we it's a love fest. So let's get into so Robert Mori is not okay, well Robert, I know you you were raised in Portugal, but you know, not a very traditional full Portuguese name. So give us your background, you know, where you're from, how you got into the wine business, all that stuff.
2: Um, well let's see, I was born in a log cabin. And, uh, walked six miles to school. Yeah, it doesn't work. Or I, I guess in a windmill, I guess would be a more more appropriate. So I was actually born in Lisbon. My mother was from. Uh, she was actually born in New Bedford, um, oh. but then went back to Portugal for most of her life until she came here to the U.S. My father was from California, and they were both working for the American government in duties that I'm not sure I'm allowed to explain yet. Uh, and so they met. And uh my brother and I were born in Lisbon, and then we lived in Karkovelus, which is on the way to Studil. So I went to the Maristas, uh, which was right down the street from where I lived, and then eventually to the Solzhenz in Studil. And then after the revolution in 74, because the universities were such a mess, and my brother was ready to go to college, we came here to California. So I was 16, and then ended up never going back. There's that, wow. you know, not a lot of you know the the school system was still a mess, the job was a system was a mess, so we just stayed True. here
0: yeah now were I know that you have this beautiful um winery now was that I know your dad was in government beforehand, so what got you or what was this something your dad started or you started with a vineyard
2: well, it, actually, it's kind of interesting because my degree is in theoretical computer science. So uh, that's <laughs> what it's I was related. always into. Yeah. And then one day out of the blue, I just decided that I wanted to make wine. So I went to the supermarket and bought grapes and yeast and sugar. And it was a complete disaster. And I realized I actually need to study this stuff. But my family in Northern Portugal, Pigetas Cristel Rodrigo, they've been making wine and cheese and whatnot for, you know, the last two, 300 years. And then my father from California, his, Father. So my grandfather was a partner of the Mondavis back in the late 40s and early 50s. And I never knew that grandfather because he passed away um, before I moved to California. And But I did have the opportunity to talk to Robert Mondavi about him in 94. And he remembered my grandfather and he was able to fill me in on that whole story that they had this partnership and whatnot. So I always kind of felt like making wine was in the blood. Yeah. Something that I had to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's kind of how I got started. And that is how you got started. You know, what's funny is I, I have wonderful memories about winemaking. And I was just hearing how your your mom was from New Bedford. Well, you know, when we came from St. Michael, we settled in New Bedford, my family and I. And I only live... I don't live that far from New Bedford so and I still have family that are in New Bedford so New Bedford is always um very special to me also but my dad made wine every year and that was something he did when he was in the Azores we had a large vineyard and we had a quinta. and uh so he did that and when he came here, he continued that tradition. But in New Bedford, he was ordering the grapes from California mm. to make his wine. Mm. And, um, and it was always in the fall. It was the time of Vindimish. And that was always like, we still celebrated Vindimish, even though we had, you know, no quinta anymore with our, mm-hmm. you know, vineyard going on here. <laughs> but it was the men. It was the men that went downstairs and made the wine And the women were upstairs (laughs) cooking for the men who were making the wine. So, And I would try to sneak in all the time to see how those things were done. And I was always kicked out. And I've always wanted to learn how to make wine. I've always wanted to learn. So maybe you're going to teach me, Bob. Maybe I'm wrong, I'm
2: sorry. (laughs) Well, it sounds like if you're coming out here in April, then we'll give you a chance to... uh, have a chance to walk through the whole process.
0: Yes, yes. We, we were talking before, folks, of, of Robert's name, and I asked him if you like to... what, what if, My husband's also Robert, but I call him Bob. So it slipped, and I just called him Bob. So it's my fault. But the uh, we were talking also about um, having me come out to California, whether it's April or May of this year. So I'm it's definitely a trip I'm looking forward to.
1: If my family still had our branch in Newcastle I would actually take you there to show you where we made wine because we did it too and you know it's funny I don't know that if we ever did it for vindemmers like we never like, I don't ever remember it that word being used or the fest that we were doing being used it was just always okay it's time to go pick grapes and literally our whole family there would be like 20 plus of us would go and we were little like we were picking grapes even when we were little kids right and it was Everybody would go up, we'd pick the grapes, we'd load them onto the tractor, we'd take them over to the big press, There was this big rectangular cement, uh, you know, vat, we'd dump all the grapes in, and then I forget how, the, you know, they were crushed, and then there was this big wheel thing where it would press out the juice, and I mean, it was like, <laughs> we'd, we did the whole thing, and I know that we sold the juice to people who were making wine and we made a little bit of our own but it was never like we made you know barrels and barrels we i think they did it mostly to sell the juice um mm-hmm. you know as a as part of getting money to upkeep the ranch and stuff
0: did your family ever used the leftover parts of the uh, the grape to make the brandy the aguardente or no You know,
1: I think they did a long time ago, but um, not in the recent years that I remember. And the only reason I think they did a long time ago is because, so this is a a house, a ranch that my great-grand, when my great-grandparents came over, because you have to remember, I'm third generation, right? Mm -hmm. So my great-grandparents came over in the early 1900s, and they purchased this fruit ranch in Newcastle, California, and um, the old house was still there, right? Well, then you know my they passed away my great aunt and uncle passed away my grandfather passed away no one really wanted to take it over and so the family decided to sell the house well in cleaning out the house we there was this room that we never went into because everyone swore it was haunted and like ghosts <laughs> lived in there so we literally we literally never opened the door well we finally opened the door and there were jugs of something in there and they had been in there so long they were literally fluorescent I don't know what was in it but it was <laughs> fluorescent stuff in there. So I'm thinking that they used to make aguardiente, yeah. and you know maybe put some yeah. in there for safekeeping and then everybody forgot it was there. <laughs> and no, now it's you is know, it just undrinkable? Yeah. If, if it
2: were aguardiente, I'm sorry, it wouldn't um, it wouldn't be going bad. I mean it would probably still be good. I mean I have some vodka from 1918 that we opened the bottle of, yeah, and it was fine. I mean, uh, distilled spirits will pretty much last forever.
1: Maybe it was something else. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So it's, uh, I was just telling the story because it's just something, again, we have in common, some of the best memories come from those times and being together as a family and, you know, doing those kinds of things that a lot of people have never done. Right. I mean, you take tours of wineries, but not a lot of people have actually gone through the, grape picking, grape crushing, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah.
0: so how you did... Have, I'm sorry. I was going to ask, is your brother involved in this as well, or is it just you? And do you have a big party when it's time for the pressing?
2: Well, my brother drinks. So, <laughs> yes, he's involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's a taster. you a wise he's guy, a taster. too, are you? <laughs>
2: pretty, pretty much. <laughs> Well, so here's what's happened. Here's what's um changed uh, recently. So last year, kind of late in the season, the tourist season, we had the chance and opportunity to jump at opening a tasting room. So we did, but it was, you know, we've never run a tasting room before. So a lot of it was discovery and we weren't listed anywhere. And so we started up the social media and the events and all that. And we said, well, we'll, we'll do what we can this year so that we're ready for 2017. So, we, now we have plans and we have dates coming up. We have pre-harvest party, post-harvest party, wine club release party. And, you know, I always whip up the barbecue and that seems to attract people. Um We're also making a, a part in the back, cigars friendly, you know, because I like my cigars and everybody seems oh, to be yes. anti-cigar these days. And then we have specialty events that are coming up. So for instance, on April 29th, uh, April is a big art month in the Napa Valley. And I'm coordinating for the area that we're in, a thing called Arts and Naples. where there's going to be a whole bunch of tasting rooms in the area that are featuring artists. And of course, we'll have food and whatnot. And then on May the 6th, because we ended up not doing it on May the 4th, uh, or May the 4th, uh, we're going to have a Star Wars party that Saturday. And we're going to have the original prototype of Han Solo, Frozen, and Carbonite. And um, sc- screen-used Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back. And we're working on more stuff, but we're going to have a How did you get that? Yeah, I know people who know people.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's um, awesome.
2: Actually, actually, you know, we're, I'm trying to get in touch with... Uh, so I know this, this guy, Lauren Peterson, who did the props for the first six movies. And he's retired now, and he lives in Marin County. And I said, well, you know, George is just on the street from you, and he's unemployed. So we'll see that we can coordinate <laughs> with, with him. So that's, we have those two things. We'll have some stormtroopers and, and whatnot. But this is actually courtesy of an artist named Mario Kyoto who created those. And so he's going to make those available. And the, the, the fun thing about him is he's currently working on this huge project for Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Arnold wow. was supposed to come by the tasting room Sunday last week and then he started running late and had to run to the airport and couldn't make it. But they promised that he's going to come by. But I have a picture of him and Mario drinking a bottle of my cab. And, uh,
1: nice.
2: yeah. And, uh, and so Mario tells me, Arnold says, this is the best Cabernet I've ever had in my life.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, Did you film that? Did you get on tape? And they're like, no. <laughs> so we're, we're hoping to get some pictures with him.
1: <laughs> That's hysterical. So That'd we're going to have
2: events. Awesome. So yeah. So, uh, you know, we're starting up those, our website is woefully antiquated. So that needs to be redone, but I've been handling all the, Social media and, and whatnot. And so we're, people are hearing about us and adding, uh, getting added to our mailing list. So they'll be aware of these events. Like the Star Wars will be free, but because we know it's going to attract a lot of people, they're going to have to have tickets like Eventbrite tickets
1: because
2: mm-hmm. uh, we can't ha- have just people dropping by. And the tasting room is south of Napa in an area called the Crusher District. So if you've been to the Napa Valley, you remember there's this little mount mountain that has this guy on a press pressing grapes i don't know if that rings a bell Mm. that 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 is known as a crusher statue statue so Mm. that area down there is called the crusher district and it's an industrial area so you know we're we don't have all the bucolic views of vineyards and whatnot but there's definitely a lot of good small wineries making some very interesting wines there i think it's an up-and-coming area that you'll hear more about
0: that's nice. Now, for those who are listening, what is your website? What is your Instagram? What is your social media outlets that people can follow you on, Robert?
2: Well, for um, Instagram, it's Mori Sellers Napa. So Mori is M-O-R-E-Y and then Sellers, C-E-L-L-A-R-S, Napa. And our website is com. And again, with the apologies of being late, I think the last time we updated it was when the president of Portugal was here. That's mm-hmm. been, what, four years? <laughs> Uh, but, it's
0: still a good you know. picture, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's that nice was pictures. definitely, definitely a fun event.
0: That is wonderful. Well, how did that feel, meeting the president?
2: It was interesting, just because I've because my parents were in the diplomatic world. I had met a lot of people when I was in Portugal. But the the fun part was introducing him, Kavak Silva, and his wife to my daughters. And my Sauvignon Blanc was served at the that dinner in San Jose. And what I thought was. Really neat. You know, I don't trust politicians generally, but when I got a chance to meet him afterwards and they they said that that was my wine, both he and his wife made a number of comments about it. You know, like, oh, wow, the Sauvignon Blanc didn't have that really bright acidity that the ones from New Zealand have. So I really liked it. So they actually discussed the wine, which to me showed that they actually paid attention to it. So I certainly Mm -hmm. appreciated that. And for my daughters, it was a kick meeting, you know, the president and his wife. Nice.
0: Nice. What an honor. That truly is an honor. Yeah. It was. So, so growing up in Portugal,
1: and so we, we talk a lot about food on this uh, this podcast, as you know. And one of the questions we like to ask is, um, so what what was your first food memory?
2: Ooh. Other than baby food, like mashed potatoes?
1: <laughs> it could it could be that it could be papa's. It could be you know, the whatever. Well, I think
2: I think one of the memories that I hold. Uh, most fondly was when my father was meeting up with somebody in Lisbon, and I was about 13, and we met, uh, I think it was at the Fagg's beer building or facility, but they had a restaurant there. So we had uh, potatoes, you know, French fries or a uh, bistec, you know, the thin, the thin uh, steak. Sh-
1: mm-hmm,
2: and, mm-hmm. and that was the first time I ever had a beer, was a Fagg's and I was 13.
0: Really? Nice. That is a nice memory.
1: Yeah.
2: My dad raised me as an alcoholic. As
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm surprised you weren't younger with the first time you ever had a beer. You know, I mean, usually we're like two or three, you know? No.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we, we actually, no, we always had wine at the table. And even now with my daughters, you know, there's, there's wine at the table, they're welcome to have a glass or a sip. So it's never been a taboo issue. And I don't think mm-hmm. you ever find... Portuguese people that have drinking problems just because the wine's there at any age. I remember being, you yeah. know, that age, 13, 14, part of being in an all boys Catholic school is that you learn how to do sort of sightish things you're not <laughs> supposed to do. So I learned how to pick locks around the, the church to uh, paper clips. And so uh, we put that to use one day with one of my brother's friends, neighbors he had a storage locker at the bottom of a building and so we we picked a lock and raided his wine cellar
0: oh jeez you know but you're saying something that again is very dear to my heart because I've always had I grew up with wine at the table I mean no matter as far as I can think back there was always wine at the table and there is no taboo for it. It, Mm -hmm. It's no big thing, you know, as growing up as a teenager with non Portuguese friends, it was a big deal to like sneak out or get, you know, their Mm -hmm. family, you know, wine or whatever. And to me, it was, it's no big deal. You know, I've been drinking it since I was, you know, very young and I, I did the same for my daughters, Robert. I mean, they were raised the same way that it's there and they're going to try it when they're young if they want to. And it was never a type of thing. And and you're absolutely right. They've actually, now they're all adults and they tease uh, me all the time and saying that the only person who ever put pressure on them to try wine was me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's funny and it was that they're friends that people never did because you know it was like ah uh, whatever that the only person who kept saying try it try it try it was there was me <laughs> that's funny but you know
1: i, I had much the same experience like in high school i'd go to a party and everybody's just out to get drunk and i would just be there like this is so boring you know right I, not my idea, fun. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. I totally agree.
2: My uh, older daughter is uh, she's graduating uh, this June from uh, UC Davis, and when she went to started living on campus, she went to a party, and somebody had something like a gallon of gallo or something like that, and they said, like, "Yeah, have some of this," and she goes, "Oh, please."
0: <laughs> we cook I, with that. No. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you. You, you bet. Are your daughters following their dad's footsteps?
2: Not yet. Um, I mean, my older daughter is studying she's graduating in civil engineering, and my younger daughter is doing business and marketing at Sonoma State. And I'm encouraging both of them to get the heck out of Napa. you know don't get a job here, go and live somewhere else in the world, go to a big city, yeah. you know try mm-hmm. something else, and then you know if we can develop the business because we're we're actually very, very small for what we do. And um it's gonna be a while before we can take on somebody like them full time. Right. So so no not not at this time, but I think someday they will. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I have a feeling they will, huh? Now is your mom a great cook?
2: Um actually I well I think she's passed away, so I have to be careful about how I phrase this. Um. Uh, not necessarily.
0: No, huh? Because I was going to ask you what would be something that your mom made that was that you loved what she made.
2: Well, my grandmother did because my mother oh, was
0: grandmother, okay. you know,
2: professional person. So she didn't she didn't quite cook, you know, she wasn't raised as a typical port- as a port- typical Portuguese daughter, you know, working in the house. Hmm. So, but my grandmother, she would always whip up stuff and. Um, Gosh, I mean, the Caldo Verde, of course, every grandmother makes it better than somebody else's grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> sardines, that was one of my, uh, we we're going back to Portugal uh, this August for about nine days. And a good friend of mine, Paulo, that I grew up with, he's going to make, he knows that I just love the Portuguese sardines the way he makes it. So I'll we'll have kilos and kilos of that stuff for the time we're there. Yeah, um, nice. I think, uh, oh, the blinged bacalhau codfish oh. that's what my grandmother did that was killer
1: mm. awesome and everybody yeah. makes those differently too some people make them a little more dry some people use more potato those are always different no matter where you go but I, I like them any which way <laughs> yeah now do you cook Robert have you tried your hand I mean so you tried your hand at winemaking maybe you, do you cook
2: well I have I know this becomes a, a, a competitive here in California, but I'm among the Portuguese population, but I have some cool dual It's probably about getting close to 10 feet tall. So I do make caldeviers. Mm-hmm. Nice. Quite a bit of it actually, because I have about a dozen plants and I freeze it. And my daughters, when they come home for a weekend, they grab a container or two.
0: Great. Um, yeah, that's so I mostly, we do too. mostly
2: make that. And then uh, Oakland style barbecue, a friend of mine um, taught me over the last 20 years, all the secrets. So, that's kind of kind of my specialty right now is barbecue.
0: The Oakland style barbecue, and what makes yeah, well, it?
2: <laughs> well, again, it's almost like you know my caldverde is better than yours. Uh, <laughs> they're her family, so she's related to BB King, and they're from Houston, and their style of barbecue. Basically, obviously, you don't boil anything, but you, you cook it in aluminum foil, and then you smoke it with rosemary. But it's the combination of the, the spices and the, the juice of the marinade that gives beautiful. it a special style.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So, you know, just in the past couple of years, I've gotten mm-hmm. into smoking. And uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to smoke your meats and fish and sausage and all that stuff. That's a talent. That's a talent all in itself.
2: Well, it's it's taken me twenty years to to get to the point where she doesn't say, "Oh my God, that's horrible." She now actually goes, hmm, "It's okay. It's not. It's not quite there, but you know." And so I always ask, "Okay, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing?" And she goes, "Well, you're just not giving it the love.
1: You're not so, giving it the love." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that Oakland had their own style of barbecue. Usually, you think of uh, like uh, the, all the different Southern right styles, like Louisiana style, Memphis style, Kentucky. You know, like Every state down in the South has their has their own.
2: Yeah, Oakland is probably, well, it's very similar to the Houston style, because I think that's where a lot of it came from. But I think you probably are more aware of kind of the deep fried fish, you know, the battered or deep fried chicken, you know, chicken and waffles that tends to be a lot more common um, in yeah. Oakland.
0: Mm, Which that's a delicious dish, by the way. I'm sorry. I have to say that. I know that's not Portuguese. It's fried chicken with waffles. But for those that are Mm -hmm. out there, I have a daughter who lives, um, it's south. It is in the south. And uh, so when we go to visit her, she's like, well, you have to try the, the chicken with waffles. And I'm like, I am not having fried chicken with waffles. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not going to try it. She's like, mom, you have to try it. You have to try it. So I did, folks. And it was good. It was very good.
1: We should try, we should try making a Portuguese version of, uh, frang com fraturas (laughs) or something.
0: Well, as far as I go there, it's, it's chicken with, you know, uh, or something like that. I don't know. It's like, (laughs) you know, it just, it didn't combine together, but it really does. It's the sweet, the savory, the crunch, the, you know, it's, it's just all the salt, the sweet. I mean, it's every combination that you always put together with food, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I can, I can definitely see, uh, in your, uh, in your winery, having a big barbecue along with celebrating your, your wines at the end of the season. I could see that, that, that would be an amazing thing. Oh,
2: we did, Well, we had a pre-harvest and a post-harvest barbecue last yeah. year, and those were very well received. So we'll, we'll yeah. definitely be doing. And Nita, my, my friend that I was telling you from Oakland, she's, and this is something maybe for you to consider when you come visit. There's a chicken and waffles hole in the wall place right across the street from Jack London Square in Oakland that she says is the best chicken and waffles in Northern California. And if you're here May 13th, we're going to have uh, an event for her because she's uh associated herself with van jones and the the love movement you know all this oh yeah okay yeah i mean you know who van jones is so you've probably heard of him so she's having an event at the tasting room and there's gonna be about 300 people and she's barbecuing so she's gonna have oh. all of her helpers and renting a big barbecue thing wow. uh, so if you're here definitely you know come by for that yeah
0: that's awesome i love california The the times that i've gone i um I have never gone to the Napa area before. So, and I've always heard about, I mean, obviously I've always wanted to go up there, um, but I've never been able to every time that I go. I always think that California is not as big as it is.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but when you're, because I'm from Massachusetts, I mean, so I could go from one side of my state to the other in the same day without a problem, but it is a completely different animal mm-hmm. of so, you know, it's, um I've always done the Venice Beach um, and that that area of California. So I have not gone up uh, to the state like I, I want to and that I need to. And I'm hopefully I will be very soon because. Um, well,
2: the- I know that An- Angela was talking about doing kind of a little tour of Portuguese things and of course, we have La Salette restaurant, which is a yes. very excellent mm-hmm. Portuguese restaurant. And then they also have Tashka Tashka, which is kind of a little bit more casual bar. And then they oh, also yeah. own his sister house, Cafe Lucia up in Healdsburg. And and then there's, of course, the Nine, Nine, Nine Islands Bakery. There's a bunch of Portuguese things. And I just found out there's a Goa restaurant that serves Indian and Goa, Goan food in Novato. Really? So,
0: uh, a,
2: yeah, it's, and it's called Little India or something like that. But they're from Goa. They were in the in the Portuguese Tribune uh, a couple issues ago.
0: Interesting. So I have to check them out. That would be an amazing thing to check out because now you've got that influences of Portugal as well as all the spices, the Indian spices and the curries. And oh my God, that would be that would be fantastic. That would be yeah. Fantastic. If
2: you're coming here for the culinary experiences, there's uh, no, several. New places like Adega, that's now a Michelin rated right, star right. restaurant and, um, in San Jose. There's Uma Casa in San
1: Francisco.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's funny. You're naming a lot of people that we've had They are chefs um, on our show, and with all of them, the same as, you know, speaking to you now, it's like, okay, as soon as you get out here, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we're going to have fun. Let's cook together, and I I am so looking forward to that.
1: Well, Maria, you're going to need more than a week out here, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think you're right. (laughs) I (laughs) I might have to come back and forth a few times, but that's okay. I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for that. I know one of the the things we always um, like to talk about and um, besides on our Portuguese table here about our food memories and our family and what we're doing and all that. And one of the things we always like to ask people, Robert, is what it means to that person. What does it mean to you being Portuguese?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm all obviously very proud of my heritage and also uh, of the past that we have both on the American side and on the Portuguese side. My family in northern Portugal, like Figueiredo Castelo Rodrigo, we can trace them pretty much generation by generation back to the 12th century because we had a bishop um, oh, wow. that was related to us. And my mother, who worked in the government, had access to the, which is where all the national archives were kept. So she was able to do a lot, all that research. Um, and then obviously going up and visiting the cousins and looking at the church registry. So I always tell my daughters, like my older daughter at one point, she said, well, I don't want to be Catholic anymore. And I said, well, you know, that's your choice, but you're still going to go through all the things until you're 18, you know, confirmation and whatnot. Because I'm not going to break 900 years of tradition. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's
1: not on your head.
2: <laughs> well, it's called it's called a little bit of guilt, um, and so she's and she can come to terms with that in that ways so she well. wants to. I think that the, the one of the the things that I most admire about Portuguese people is that they, and I don't want to use the word assimilate, but they. Um, work very well with other groups and places, and yet they maintain a lot of the values like hard work and honesty and integrity. I see a lot of other cultures where they're adamant to not learn English or they're, they're adamantly going to dress the way they did back in the old country. And mm-hmm. we Portuguese here, we just, like you said, there are some wineries that you didn't even know or some people you didn't even know they were Portuguese, yeah. yet they know and they hang out with the people like we are members of the... Portuguese hall in Sausalito Mm -hmm. and a lot of people there, you wouldn't know that they're Portuguese unless you saw them there. So we keep our identity, but yet we're, we're not stubborn about trying to prove a point about it. I I think you
0: hit it it perfectly. And that's exactly how I, I feel the exact same way when it comes to that. I think we do assimilate very well. Uh, We, we get it. We want to be part of that big picture of being an American and being in America. But, and it mm-hmm. was the same thing of when we're out, you know, this is where, we're Americans and, but when we're home and with family, that is where, you know, you don't forget who you are or where you came from. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're very proud of that. And well, there's I, also
1: that, yeah, the pride thing is, is funny because, we do assimilate quite well, we often refer I often refer to our community here as as being very silent, not invisible, but just just very silent and sometimes it's good sometimes it's not so great.
0: We are worker bees if that that is an absolute i mean I mean we were talking about this before and even in, uh before we started in the beginning I mean we're constantly busy people and and we're it's not something where we definitely sit on our laurels we we work, I mean, and we keep busy. So there is, there is definitely that, I mean, but we wouldn't want it any other way.
2: Right, right. Even people that I know that are worth millions of dollars, they're still out there working every day because that's just part of the Portuguese Mm -hmm. DNA.
0: Absolutely. I always tell my husband, I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to retire. (laughs) You know, it, it's the type of thing where I know, and he and he's fine with it. He is absolutely fine with it as long as I don't make him work. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh. that's, that's why I say, like, if I, yeah, I always say, if I won the lottery, I mean, I was like, oh yeah, you just go and travel and be on vacation forever. You know, I might travel a little bit to get it out of the way, <laughs> but yeah. I would probably start volunteering, and you know, we would find something else to occupy our time and make ourselves busy. Because there's Absolutely. just, I don't know. Yeah, There's I just agree. so much that, I, my, my thing is there's so much to be done. There's so so many areas where you can make a difference. You know, it's just, I don't know. You just don't want to waste your time here on this earth, I don't think. Yeah.
2: Right, and, well, and you also live in, live in a land of opportunities. Growing up in Portugal, I remember when I was about 13, and I wanted to start making some money, I went to talk to a neighbor and said, hey, you know, can I mow your lawn for, for money? And apparently he told my parents, they chewed me out, saying, you can't do that, you know. People don't, you know, don't work side jobs and, you know, kids don't do this. And there are all these rules about things we couldn't do. And I felt very constrained. But when I came here to the U.S., you can pile on job upon job and you can do everything. So there's so many. So I encouraged my daughters like I did. I was in radio and got involved with movies and organizations and different kinds of work. And, you know, this is a land of opportunity. So if you want to do something and you want to work or contribute, you can. And there are a lot of countries in the world where you can't.
0: Right. You know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I have these conversations with my daughters because, again, I I, I, ha- I have three daughters. And I know Angela has one and, and you have two, uh, Robert. And I, for some reason, I was born the same way as you. I was born in the Azores. So I came over when I was six. So I carry a lot of what my parents uh, felt and wanted for us because they wanted more for their children. And so I kind of carry that same for my children. I want even more for them than I have. And I, and I, I think as it goes, waters down, I, I think for some people, they tend to forget that part, that things are not just given to you. You mm-hmm. need to, work. you need to work at it. You know, you can't let people discourage you and get in your way. You've got to fight through it. You've got to be tough. And it's that entrepreneurial skill that's kind of instilled in us when we're young. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know that it's being instilled in us. It just is until you grow up and find out that not everybody is raised that same way and mm-hmm. you know and the way that your family or you think is not the norm across the board and i have three daughters that i've instilled in this for ever i still do but when they go off to college or you know when they leave that Area of and meeting different people from different things, and they see how other people are, and 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 question. Well, why wouldn't you think the glass is half full? <laughs> why do you think the glass is half empty? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, it's just. I I think I I think. Now I'm getting on the soapbox. I think that's something again that is um I don't know that that's Portuguese I I don't know because maybe because I'm Portuguese but that's how uh, that's or an immigrant I should say let's it it's an immigrant way of thinking but you know it's
1: funny you don't actually and I, I totally agree with everything you're saying but you don't notice it really because I don't know maybe like once you get older and then you start I guess seeing how other people are but like It's that's just how you did things growing up, like for example, going to the halls and helping to set up and you know, okay, we have to roll out the placemats, we gotta put the plates out, you gotta put the utensils out, you gotta clean the floors, you gotta decorate, you know. And everybody was in there doing everything. You know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. I think one of the first times I noticed that not everybody knows how to throw a party is it was either at school or something, and you know, my friends we were Going to help, or there was going to be a party, and like nobody knew how to do anything, and it was just kind of like, "What? What do you mean you don't?" Okay, okay well, we need to put placemats out. We need to put, you know, this out and that out. It was just such a strange thing. It's a very small example, but I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Where it's like you just—that's just how you were raised. That's just how we are. We didn't call it out as being Portuguese or like you know what I mean. That was just it, and then it only kind of shows itself, and then you only. I, you know, I guess identify it as well, maybe it's a Portuguese thing when you start comparing it to other people. I don't know, but it's just it's
0: kind of funny, is it, but I, I totally get what you're this saying. Is, you know, it, this is the Portuguese table right now, so as far as I'm concerned, this is all Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: Robert, I want to know when you're going to host, like, a big, like, Portuguese barbecue for San Juaninas or one of the big Hall of Saint Antonio, something like that. Um,
2: well, the we will have an artist reception on April 29th, but that is, uh, that is not a barbecue. Uh, there will be a big barbecue May 13th for this Van Jones thing, and then we're going to have a pre- mm-hmm. So probably the next big one we're going to have is a pre-harvest barbecue sometime in August, but we don't have that scheduled yet. So the best way to find out about it is to either sign up on Instagram, you know, at Maury Napa, uh, or then get on our mm-hmm. mailing list.
1: Okay. Well, if you need help throwing a Portuguese barbecue, you let me know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly be interested in doing doing something like that. But I know that the, the Portuguese halls uh, do... Do a lot, Sausalito and uh, nevado and Petaluma. I know that there's a guy here in Napa. His last name is Cabral. I see it in the paper. He has a big uh, Portuguese barbecue every year. Unfortunately, I never get invited. Hint, hint. If he's listening. Oh
1: really? Um, I don't either. What's it's that? A,
2: it's Matanza do Porco. So it's when they do the oh, pig killing. They
1: kill the pig. Okay. Is it in the yeah, Napa in, area?
2: It's in Napa, yeah. It's big, he has a big piece of property just on the outskirts of the city and it's a big thing. It's always in the paper every year.
1: If anybody knows Mr. Cabral, tell them we wanna go. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just don't wanna be there when they kill the pig because that in itself I've heard I've I've been to that before and that I don't need to see. Yeah, I can't do I'm yeah, thinking. I can see it after when it's being on it but I don't need to hear the squeals of when it's being killed. But the whole thing behind it in making the sausages and and barbecuing it up and cutting I mean that's that is a party. So whoever Mr is it Stu Cabral? Is it Stu Cabral?
2: I think it's I think I think his last name is Cabral.
0: Okay, Stu Cabral, who's ever out there in California, okay, you got to talk to Angela and uh, and Robert here. Get them invited. That's that's an that's an amazing thing, and maybe I'll come out in October to see that. <laughs> I'll be coming out to see you guys all the time. You'll get sick of me. I have a quick question for you, Robert, and I'm going to go sure. back to our table here. Uh, describe your family table. What's being served?
2: Well, right now it's just I'm I'm home alone with two chihuahuas, so my oh. daughters are off college. <laughs> So what part of TV, TV dinner or pizza do you want me to get into? <laughs> oh,
0: stop it. Stop it.
2: <laughs> no, when we have, obviously, when we, there, there's a lot of Americanization, but it depends on who's here. When my brother comes up from Southern California, then, you know, for like Christmas and Thanksgiving, then it's always different because he always, uh, insists on having Portuguese, uh, dinners and whatnot. But usually we'll get some, some little baked breads from, uh, La Salette because you can order those. Mm. um what's the name of it's uh, i'm forgetting now the the name of the little breads that you can buy
0: um pop-sick.
2: popsick yes so you That's can right. order a little popsicle. yeah popsick from la salata then from nine islands bakery when i can get my hands on a few pounds of sardines and we just do straight old sardines on the barbecue with rock salt yeah
0: nice
2: um and then other than that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not big on sweets. So, you know, the girls will eat the Pushtay's Um But that's about it for me. It's just more than and uh, sardines. It's kind of my main thing.
0: That is your main thing.
2: Mm. And wine, lots of wine and scotch apple. You
0: know, now what is you, know, you your- can get frozen sardines at uh,
1: Trade Right in San Jose if you ever need them. I know it's a bit of a drive right. from Napa. but Yeah. Every
2: time I go by there, I stop by there and I pick up a bunch of stuff. Um and now they have their Stock little up. restaurant yep. there too. So it's nice to, to try something out.
0: Now I'm going to ask you something about your wine. I know, And I know with making wine, um, my dad would always say, you know, for making wine, a little bit of you goes in that wine. Okay. Because a, a true winemaker, there's a little bit of, uh, of you in it. And he would have years where he'd be happy with his wine and he'd be, there'd be some years where he'd be like, Oh, this just doesn't, you know, it isn't my best kind of thing. Now, right now, right now as we speak, the ones that you've made, which ones are your babies? Which ones are your favorite?
2: Um, I would say that my 2005 Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa is probably still my favorite, uh, and I guess I should explain a little bit. When you make Cabernet Sauvignon in Napa, typically people think of high fruit extraction, lots of tannins, you know, high alcohol, you know, very big wine. While in Portugal, for instance, Tudiga Nacional, which I think is an amazing grape varietal, will be, you know, lower alcohol. It'll still be flavorful and have oak and tannins and whatnot, but it's just not a big wine. Um, I tend to do more European style or what I like to call Bordeaux style. So it's, it's more subtle, something that will drink now uh, and age well for years. A lot of California wines, you have to put them down for 10 or 15 years, a Cabernet, Napa Cabernet, you have to put them down for 10 or 15 years before they reach a, a drinkable or approachable time. Yeah. People in this country tend to drink the wines way too young. It's, mm. it's crazy mm-hmm. how... How they're they're drinking some of these wines, like a Cabernet, you can't drink it for at least two years. There's people out there already already selling 2015 Napa Valley Cab, which is undrinkable in in my mind. But you know, they're part of. I understand the problem is that Napa is so popular right now that people are running out of wine, so they're having to move step up their their vintages. But I make more of a, a subtle, still high alcohol. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, but something more in a Bordeaux style, more of a European style that is drinkable with meals, but also you can drink it on its own. Currently, our current releases are 2012 or 2013. I tried a bottle a month ago or so. It's still not ready to to be released. And the other ones, of course, not at all. But the 2005, which is pretty much gone, is uh, is my favorite. I may have a bottle or two here at home, and that's it.
0: Now... If here in New England, where can I find your wine?
2: Well, unfortunately, you can't. We don't distribute. The only place we sell our wine to is La Follette in Sonoma. Oh, okay.
1: Um,
2: because we make we make so little of it, and also Massachusetts is is very difficult uh, to get the wine to because of the the laws you have there.
0: Yeah, I know we um, can't do um through internet, but I. I know with mail is also hard. I didn't know if you had a distributor
2: out here. No, unfortunately we, we don't. Um, so what we're doing is we're selling, we sell our Cabernet Sauvignon of which the 2012, I only made two barrels. So that's 50 cases, actually 48 cases.
1: Oh,
0: wow. Uh,
2: Yeah. We were up to 200 cases and then we had a couple vintage disasters. And so we kind of had to back off and grapes are so expensive here in, in Napa that uh you know you really have to make mm-hmm. sure that you know what you're doing and you know you can only afford to buy so much um but also I have a number of wines that I've imported and um that I'm that I bought from importers and distributors in the area so I have some portuguese wines so I have a lot of Sherry's and wines from France and New Zealand uh, for Australia and, and Spain so that's mm-hmm. kind of also what we what we're selling uh in addition to our the the cab that I make
0: so yours is a really a, a small cottage industry, really. If you're making that, yeah. it's a boutique, it's a boutique wine. Let's call it that. I like that. It's a boutique wine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we, you know, like I said, we had to retreat down to, to the 2012 down to two barrels. And so now we're increasing that uh, up again, but yeah, it's a very, very, very small production. So we don't, most of it gets, Earmarked or sold online, and now because of the tasting room, we had to hold back and reduce the some allocations to to make sure that we didn't run out of the wine at the tasting room.
0: Mm. Now let me ask mm. you this, and 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 you can play, you can plead the fifth if you want to. But when we're talking about, uh, now we're going to talk about wines in Portugal, and to me, then this is my personal feeling: is I think Portuguese wines are very underrated versus, let's say, uh, another uh, uh, another region, another area, another, you know, part. And there's the uh, wine coming out of Douro and then the wine coming out of Alentejo. Which wines do you like best?
2: Well, I would, because of the tradition, I'd probably have to say more Alentejo because the wines coming out of the Douro are, or, I don't want to say they're a, a, a recent thing, but the increase of wine coming out of the dodo has been because of a number of port producers are going to still wines because they think that they can make better profits. Uh, and also port port sales have been slowing down over the last decade or so. So they're moving to still wines and there's a lot of young winemakers doing a lot of experimental stuff. So it's, it's it's all interesting, but I find that the, the rustic flavors at um, the more I guess the way to say it would be more localized from the Alentejo or more to my palate. The one thing I hate, and I ripped into a reporter once who was praising Cabernet Sauvignon from the Doru, was the, uh, that I was telling him that I disagree with the globalization of wine. So if I go to Portugal, I don't want to have a Cabernet Sauvignon. If I go to Italy, I don't want to have a Chardonnay. I want to have some bizarre name that I've never heard of that is perfect.
0: Absolutely, I'm right there with you. I am right. Yeah,
2: and I've been to places where I'll just, you know, it's a hole in the wall. You have a place, you have grandma cooking in the back. They have a barrel of wine that they keep topping off with the wine from, you know, the, from the backyard. And it is just the most amazing wine and food experience that you cannot replicate. Um, yeah. And, and I think that, that that's that's a precious thing. So I'm totally against the globalization of wine in the old world. Like the new world here, sure, we're experimenting with stuff, you know, places. Like the Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico, they're trying Tempranillo and Cab and all that. That's fine. Texas are they're also making some amazing wines which never leave the state, and they're experimenting with stuff. But when you go to Italy or Greece or Portugal, I want to try the local wines that have been there for two thousand years. I don't want to try something I can get, you know, at the supermarket or I can get at Safeway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have uh, one of my daughters was studying abroad this year and. Um, she studied in Italy, and so my husband and I were able to go and visit her. And she was in the um, the Tuscany region, and we had been there. We've traveled there before, so we knew exactly what we were looking for. But the wines there, where the local wines, were just beyond. They were they were so delicious, and and very very reasonable. Where, you know, there were $5 bottle of wines so that it was from this local little place mm-hmm. that, you know, mom and pop had made. But when we go to Portugal, I should say we go to the Azores, to the islands, you know, there's the wine they're getting from Alentejo that's there, the ones from, from Dora also. But we have Pico, uh, the wine from, um, from the island of Pico which that wine never leaves those islands. The ones that come here are, I have no idea. I I won't even touch it because the ones it doesn't even, I I, I can't understand it. They, They sent over the wines that are not as taste as well as the ones they have there. And that I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Well,
2: it's a supply and demand thing. And it's what I was telling about Mexico and Texas is that because I used to sell wine barrels in Texas and in Mexico, I used to go and try the wines that they're making there. And there were some phenomenal wines that they made, but they never leaving that area because people buy them there. They keep them there. They go to Mexico City. And in Texas, you know, all they can send out is, you know, like the jalapeno Chardonnay, things that give the entire state a bad name. So the good stuff always stays there, and it's the bad stuff that gets exported. Unfortunately, is that,
0: is that what it is? Because let me tell you, every time we're there, we're like, "Oh my god!" It's I mean, when you have grapes that are grown, you know, to the point where they are all protected by lava rocks, and it. And it grows because, you know, you've got that extra heat of volcanic, you know, heat that, I mean, the thermal heat that comes from it. And the wine was originally served to Russian czars. I mean, this is the kind of wine we have there, folks. I mean, this is, our Portuguese wines are amazing. They're just amazing wines. And I think they're undervalued and and people do not know about them. I don't know. I don't get it. I I don't get it. There have been more articles written about
1: Portuguese wines lately, but still, yeah. For as far as like the masses go, there's still a lot of awareness that needs to happen. Um, for sure. I mean, it's kind of like Portugal used to be the best kept secret in Europe, right? Because it was affordable, beautiful, and now it's getting a little more expensive. So I don't know, we may be careful, careful on what we wish for, because we can still get really, really good Portuguese wines at a good price. And, uh, they become too popular. They could become really yeah, expensive.
0: No, I know. <laughs> thing. I, I think it's the same thing with our olive oils too. Yeah. Our olive oils are hands down. And I, you know, folks, if anyone's out there that's Italian, I love Italian stuff. But I'm going to put our olive oils up against any Italian olive oils because I, I think they they beat it. I really do. I, I it's just yeah. my
1: personal palate. Well, and I was just reading an article. <clears throat> We're kind of going down a, a bit of a tangent, but I was just reading an article that said there's actually a lot of olive oils on the market that are full of other stuff, and so they're considered fake olive oil, so they're actually not right, pure right. olive oil, so you got to be careful with that. Mm.
2: Yeah, and also Italy had a, a disastrous harvest this year, so you're going to see other countries exporting to the U.S. because the Italians can't, so you'll probably see more Portuguese and Spanish olive oil
0: on oh. the market. I did hear that last year, so the outcome is now we have less olive oil coming from them. Okay, that makes sense. Interesting. Now you're not going to get into olive oil, are you, too, mm-hmm. Robert?
2: Um, I I have well, some olive oil, some olive trees, but I mean <laughs> it's a whole different beast, and it takes a lot of real estate to grow uh, to make enough olive oil. So I'll produce some. You know, small amounts, and eventually we'll have some at the tasting room, but no, I'm not going to get into that business per se.
0: Yeah, I, I, I had to say that because it usually goes hand in hand. Usually it those that make wines also make some olive oil. I don't know why, but that does.
2: Well, it's part of that Mediterranean lifestyle, but if you really want to make money, get get into marijuana. Don't get into the wine industry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Well, <laughs> well that, that'll be another true, show that,
1: yeah exactly <laughs> so we're coming tough. up on our time but I do want to ask one last question the wine business is a pretty competitive business right and so if there's anybody out there listening that is interested in getting involved in the wine business or starting their own label maybe they want to you know, bring the Portuguese style of winemaking to their area something like that what would be some advice you'd give to somebody looking to get into this business?
2: Well, there's, uh, I mean, one, I guess one comment and two sayings. Uh, the, the wine industry in a lot of ways is still a very agricultural. So it's not something you can just waltz in, you know, sell your stock options in Silicon Valley and think that you're going to be making a gazillion dollars in the wine industry. People have tried that. I remember in 99 and 2000, we had a whole bunch of people leaving, uh, leaving Silicon Valley just when the that little depression was hitting and they came over here and they bought land and tried to make wine six, seven years later, they're all back in tech because they couldn't make any money in the wine industry. So you have to think of it as a long-term business. Uh, and that's not only for growing, but just making um, wine in general. And the two things that I think are very true and to the core of the wine industry are that it's easy to make wine. It's difficult to sell it. And the other one is, mm-hmm. if you want to make a small fortune in the wine industry, start with a large fortune. Ah, <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, it's not its
2: not a very easy thing to to jump into. I mean, we started, our first commercial vintage was in 2000. And, you know, we kept it small because I was working in other things. And my brother was working in other things. And then in oh six and 07 was when we were starting to produce a lot more. And then we actually lost those two vintages because of a bottling problem. Basically, we ended up with hundreds of cases of Kool-Aid because somebody somewhere attached a water hose somewhere. And we couldn't prove if it was a filtering company or if it was the bottling company. And so that's where financially we had to drop back and start trying to rebuild. Um, And things like that can happen, you know, and you have to have a big chunk of money. I mean, I believe a, a good business will bootstrap itself, which is what we've done here. We put in some seed money and we've grown you know, if you have a disaster, then you're gonna to have to start over again start bootstrapping, which which is where we are. Right. But that's fine. You know, that's that's okay. We're, we we have a long term plan and we're getting there and now this tasting room it's is kind of the realization of what we're trying to accomplish. And it's connected to a mm-hmm. friend's winery. So it's basically the tasting room is his wine and my wine and it's his winery. So, yeah, so the advice would be if you want to do it, don't do it because it's cute or you want to have your name on a label. You know, you can hire people to do that. But if you want to get into the business, you have to think of it as a lifelong commitment.
1: Yeah, I think that's very sage advice yes, it is. for uh, an industry that is so competitive. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for your time. It's been awesome chatting with you. And um, No,
2: this we'll uh, is fun. Thanks for having me.
0: We were talking away and our hour quickly went by very fast.
2: And we're not even drinking.
0: And, and well, says you, I might be.
2: I have to go to school now. So, no, I'm not drinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have to go to school
2: now. Yeah, I teach on uh, Tuesday, Robert, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I have, a, I have a nonprofit
1: martial arts school.
0: Oh, how wonderful! Yeah, so no drinking wine for you right now.
1: So he's no. he's funny and dangerous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm
1: a lover, not so a fighter. Oh right. right.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks. So well Robert, you so much.
1: super proud of you. Good luck, continued success, and um Thank you. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you around at, you know, I will consulate I will or something to that. like
2: that.
1: Yes. All right, everybody. I'll look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Robert. Thank I'll you. Talk to you later.
0: Yeah. Bye bye.
1: Isn't he a cool guy? Oh, very cool guy.
0: Uh, you know, I forgot to ask yeah, him yeah. Does, does he press the grapes with his feet or not? I forgot to ask that question.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I do a stomping. That always makes her fun event. Maybe when I talk to him about doing some more Portuguese events, we'll, uh, I'll talk to him about doing the stomping. That would be fun. Do yeah.
0: you know there are people who, in um, depending on whether it's Italy or where, or Portugal, wherever there is wine to be made, and that's everywhere around the world. They do, you actually have to pay to go in and stomp the grapes for them. Yeah,
1: I've heard about yeah,
0: that. So I, we need to tell him <laughs> that's a way to also bring revenue up for him. You know, people can actually it's a good go. Good yes. yes. But if I go and visit him in October for Vindimish, I will not be one of those people stomping. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We'd be, that would make a great video. Well, you know, the whole thing is, is it'll stain your legs for the grape tannins will will uh, pretty much stain your legs for a good month. I don't know if I want my legs up to my knee being stained in grape. I don't know. I don't think I want that.
1: I don't know. It's October. You're going to be wearing jeans and boots. That's
0: true. Right, that right. No one's going to see that. That's true. You know, Angela, you're always... Yeah. Yeah, you see that. That's why there's the two of us. Because it was just me, I know I know. I know, I know, forget it. I can't do it. So, but no, this was <laughs> great. this was great. He was, yeah, No, he was he's a great
1: awesome. guy, and I, uh, I was excited. I was excited to have him on because, really, like every time, like Palcoso is an event or a mixer, or we have an event at the consulate or something. He's he's always very willing and ready to. To donate wine and, and that's a huge cost, you know, and that's what makes the events um, scalable and repeatable is yeah. keeping the cost down. So I mean,
0: it's been nice. I love, I love the fact that you know we have Portuguese people still in California, and and who knew there were six other or how many more wineries that are Portuguese people here in the United States making wine? Yeah, I mean, how amazing yeah, I is that! I love that. I love, love, love that. Yeah. You know, eventually we have, we'll get them all on the show. Yes. And it's funny because we have some winemakers here in, um, in Massachusetts, but, you know, it's a very limited amount of wine they can make because we don't have the same type of seasons that you have. I mean, we have four seasons. Right. So, you know, a, a bad winter could, you know, really the type of grapes that they can grow is more like a champagne kind of grape because the same way that they, but they can't call it champagne because it's a very sturdier um, whatever vine, whatever the case may be. It, it's So that's what's local besides, you know, breweries everywhere, popping out of every which way. I don't know about in mm-hmm. California, but there's a new brewery opening up like almost every weekend somewhere else in Massachusetts. So, but the thought of having Portuguese vineyards in yeah. the United States, I, I would be supporting that in a heartbeat. That's why I wanted to know nice. how I could get it here. You know, how can I get it here? But I know I, I, I know, I have to go to you. I have to go to you to get to enjoy it. So. <laughs> we'll uh, do a tour when you're out yeah. here. Yes, yes, yes. And maybe we'll we'll put it out there. Maybe we'll uh, do a, a podcast while I'm out there. As um, that would be, uh, yeah, we have to. Yeah, or maybe we we'll to. do some live videos and post it on our website. Sure. Maria there drinking wine. <laughs> Taking her way through California. Yeah, Maria once again drinking more wine. <laughs> and the last video will be Maria passed out from drinking <laughs> <more> wine. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, That's it for today. Uh, We're always having fun.
1: You'll, then you're, you'll be selling will sell of bucks after that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> all right everyone. This has been all fun right. until next time. Até a próxima. Até a próxima, querida. Thanks again for listening to our Portuguese Table podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so on SoundCloud or iTunes. And all episodes can be found on our website at com. You can also reach us at feedback at
1: com with comments, questions, or suggestions. Até, Até a próxima! A próxima.